Good afternoon, everyone. It is the 18th, the day after St. Patrick's Day, but this is as close as we're going to get to St. Patrick's Day, so we thought we'd throw the shamrocks up there. Hope everyone, you and your family, had a uh, happy and safe St. Patrick's Day celebration. And remember that yesterday was also the feast day for St. Gertrude, the patron saint of cats and people who own cats. So again, next year, if you don't feel like uh, uh, drinking green beer or doing that, you can go pet a cat and you're also celebrating a, a saint on that feast day. A few things that we have for you here today. One is a very interesting one that popped up just this morning, and that has to do with getting a hold of vital records. Um, we had a funeral home that called us up and said they've been calling vital records for the last week and they could never get through. It was, it was saying that the call center was closed. They could not even leave a voicemail. So we looked into it. We got the phone number that they were calling. We checked things out and a very interesting situation has been taking place. St. Louis County Health Department and perhaps other health departments as well have been giving out the wrong phone number for vital records here in Jefferson City. They were giving out a number that was not the main number for vital records. The number they were giving out actually went to a staff person there at vital records. It was their direct line. And it's not a number that is even published openly on the way. It's not secret. Nobody's phone numbers are secret, but it's not one that they put out there for people to call. You're not supposed to call that number. But yet that was what was on the handout that they always gave to anybody at the health department in St. Louis County. And if you called them up and asked them who should they call, that apparently is the number they were telling people to call. So that number was wrong. The funny thing though, even though it was wrong, it was kind of sort of working for a while, for, for much of the time. Because if it rang on a particular person's desk, that's a very busy person. And if he didn't pick it up right away, then it was picked up by the voicemail system, but it was not really the current active voicemail system. And it was working for a while where you could leave a message, although I'm not sure that message went anywhere. You, you thought you left a message. And then for the past week or so, it's been saying the call center is closed no matter what time of day you, uh, you call them. So here, this is the correct number for vital records, okay? If you want to call Vital Records, this is the correct number, 573-751-6387. So what were they doing wrong? What was wrong with what was being handed out? They had uh, these last two numbers transposed. They were telling people to call 6378. 6378 is a real number over at Vital Records, but it's not the one that you're supposed to be calling because it rings at a particular person's desk um, and it should go straight to their uh, voicemail system, but it wasn't. It was getting intercepted by something that sounded like the main system, but it was a little out of date, I guess. And at a certain point, it got shut down or deactivated. And so it was telling people that the call center was closed. So anyway, this is the correct number. What was really funny today is uh, I had to go over to Vital Records anyway to work on some death certificate issues for funeral homes. And while I was there, I said, hey, we're hearing we got a problem with the correct number. Uh, and at that point, I wasn't even sure how the funeral home got the wrong number. Uh, but then as I'm standing there at the window, a nice gentleman comes in who drove all the way from St. Louis County 
to Jefferson City to try to talk to somebody because he had been calling the wrong number for two weeks and kept getting this message that the call center was closed and he couldn't get through. So he drove all the way down uh, because he needed some uh, uh, records. I don't know if they were birth or death records or what, but he needed or marriage records maybe even, but he needed some records uh, from Vital Records and he couldn't get through because St. Louis County, they've got a little form that has important numbers on it that they hand out to people and that form had the wrong number on it. So once again, if you're trying to call Vital Records, this is the correct number, 573-751-6387. The next thing I wanna bring up is something that has uh, popped up a couple times in the last few weeks and we even got a call uh, from uh, the Missouri Veterans Commission about this issue. And uh, although we've talked about this before, since this appears to be uh, uh, something that a number of funeral homes were interested in this month, I'm going to talk about it. And what do you do with unclaimed cremated remains? What do you do with unclaimed cremated remains? Well, under the statute, as you've probably heard me say many times, uh, after cremation has taken place, the final disposition is over. And so what you do with those cremated remains, there's a specific statute in the law that says, here's what the funeral establishment must do with cremated remains. So number one on the list is you follow the terms of the cremation contract. So if your, if your cremation contract has spelled out in it, here's what we do if the remains are not claimed, well, then you can follow that and you should be good. But unfortunately, many people don't use a cremation contract that spells that out. If you use the one that we have online for members in the Missouri Funeral Directors Association members only area, it has that in there. But let's say you have some old cremated remains from 10, 20 years ago that have been at your funeral home for a long time and nobody's ever picked them up. What can you do with them legally? Well, first off, and this is why we got the call from the Veterans Commission, because uh, we've always put this out there, but they wanted to know if we needed to know what the, you know, any information, but we, we already did. The first thing you might want to consider with unclaimed cremated remains is, is there any chance that the deceased was a veteran? If the deceased was a, a, even possibly a veteran, you can call in the veterans organizations in your area. They are authorized by law to research that person through the federal government, through the armed forces, through the veterans administration. They're allowed, they're allowed access to all that data. And if the veterans group determines that that deceased person whose cremated remains you had that nobody claimed, if they have determined that uh, that was a veteran, the veterans organization will most likely purchase an urn and then arrange for interment at a veteran cemetery. So it's a wonderful thing. You have a veteran that hasn't been claimed and they get a nice, uh, you know, uh, urn and they get placed in the veterans uh, cemetery. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do uh, for a veteran, uh, you know, to honor their service in that way. And again, if the family shows up later or distant relatives shows up later and they want to know what happened to their great, great uncle, uh, then you can let them know how well they were treated uh, thanks to both your funeral home and the veterans groups in your, uh, in your area. So that's the first thing to do. If you think these unclaimed cremated remains might be a veteran, Check with the veterans uh, groups in your area. If you don't know who to contact in your area, call our office. 
We'll hook you up with the Veterans Commission that can hook you up then with who in your local area comes in and does that research and we can get you on your way. What if the unclaimed remains are not a veteran? Well, then the statute says, here is what you do. You must send a letter to the last known address to the person who contracted for the cremation. And if you've listened to me before about cremated cremations, you know you have to know who that is. You have to understand the person who contracted for the cremation is the one who obligated themselves to pay the bill. The one that says, I want this cremation done and I'm gonna pay the bill. I am making the deal. Doesn't matter who really paid the bill. Somebody can step in and say, I'm gonna be a nice guy and donate this money and pay the bill. But that wasn't the person who contracted for the cremation. The person who contracted for the cremation is the one who signed on the dotted line. We want the cremation and we're and I'm going to be paying the bill. So whoever that person was, you send notice to their last known address. And if you've attended my class or you've been to any of our seminars, you know that you should have that address on file because this information on cremations the information is from your cremation authorization and your cremation contract and so several other things. Those are permanent records of your funeral home. If you've done a cremation, then you need to uh, have these records. My, my computer's beeping on me here. I'm not sure why. Uh, you need to keep these records forever. So sending a letter to the last known address. Do not send it certified mail. You don't have to send it certified mail. Lots and lots of people never sign for certified mail, which means you have no proof that it was actually received or anything. People don't sign for certified mail. You don't have to send it for the certified mail. Send it delivery confirmed. Delivery confirmed is cheaper, and that's all that's required. That's all that you really need to do to require the uh, meet the statute. Send the letter delivery confirmed. And then in that letter, it would say something like this. Uh, we are in the possession of the cremated remains of so-and-so that you contracted for on such-and-such. Such. Unless these cremated remains are picked up, arrangements are made for final disposition, for disposition of the cremated remains, within 90 days of delivery of this letter, we will dispose of these cremated remains in accordance with Missouri law. And then if they don't respond to that letter, of course, You'll, if you do it delivery confirmed, you'll get a little thing that you can get online and look it up on the computer and it'll show you what day it was uh, delivered to that person. After 90 days, then you can either bury, scatter, or inter those cremated remains at any place that's been formally dedicated for such purposes and for, for final disposition of the human dead, or you can give them to somebody else on the statutory next to kin list. Uh, you've heard me all talk about that statutory next to kin list. So if, let's make something up, uh, somebody passed away, did not have a wife, but had a son. And the son was the one who contracted for the cremation, but the son never picked up the cremated remains. Well, you send a letter to that son, giving them 90 days to come in. If they don't, then you can either scatter them in a memorial garden or inter them somewhere or bury them at a cemetery if you have a place for that. Or if the great nephew, if the nephew comes in, and says, uh, I would like those cremated remains. Well, you can give them to them as well. Of course, you're gonna want paperwork. You're gonna want to show what it was you did, get a receipt for the delivery and all that stuff. So those are the options you can do with unclaimed cremated remains. And uh, so that's, that's the first topic. Second one is you will be getting in the mail soon, very soon, 
the information on the Tri-State Convention in Overland Park, Kansas, with Missouri, Kansas, and Nebraska. That starts on May 1st, uh, and it goes for several days there. We've got a lot of great events going on. Will there be a golf tournament on Sunday? There will be a top golf tournament on Monday evening. There's, of course, going to be the banquet, a lot of great seminars, a lot of great speakers, and, of course, the exhibit hall, which is always very well attended and always a, a worthwhile event to, to attend as well. There'll be networking luncheons and take a look at that. We will also have our annual business meeting of the association. And on that day, we will be doing elections for the three board members who were elected last year who were assigned a one-year term. As you might recall, that we changed our board structure over the last couple of years. And last year at the convention, we elected nine board members. These are at-large board members they're voted on by the entire state. They don't represent one particular district or anything, although the districts districts can nominate people. The, uh, the board represents the entire state. So the entire state voted on nine members. After the election, they were assigned randomly either a one, two, or three-year term. And then that means every year, one-third of the board is up for uh, re-election or for uh, somebody else to, to uh, take the election. So this year, the three board members who were assigned one-year terms are up. They can nominate themselves. They can decide, they, they can say, I would like to be reelected. That's fine. That's great. You can also nominate people. If you're a member of the association, an email is going out this afternoon that says, here's how to do that nomination. And if you do get that nomination in before uh, we head out for convention, that person will be on the printed ballot that we will have to pick three names off of these people that uh, wish to be on the board. You will also be able to make nominations on the floor at the convention, at our business meeting. Those are gonna have to be write-in candidates, however, because they won't be on the pre-printed ballot. So either way, you can make nominations. You can be on the board if you want to, if you qualify uh, or somebody that you know. So that's the other thing to look for. The last thing is, uh, Kind of just a, a, an item that's it's cropped up a couple times this week and it can be an issue. And what I want to tell you is, unless you have talked to me first, please do not have a family person, a family member, call me up about an issue. I am an attorney and I cannot be giving out legal advice to your customers or to the public that come in and have an issue or a problem with you or a problem with the other funeral. I cannot be giving out legal advice to these people. And if they're in a conversation with me uh, under the rules that attorneys deal with, I can very quickly, if I'm not careful, create a situation where that person might have a reasonable expectation that I am now their attorney. So I, I'm more than happy to you know, point people to where the statutes are, to where the regulations are. Of course, we put a lot of them on our webpage. A lot of them are available if they see podcasts or things like that. And I'm more than happy to say, you know, this is what, or tell, or point to people so that they can see, this is what the statute says. But then if they wanna ask, well, does this contract meet that statute? Uh, no, not gonna talk, not gonna tell you that. Uh, do I apply? Do I fit into that? No, no, I'm not going to tell you that. Well, what if this? No, no, can't tell you that. Now, there are some situations where it might be appropriate for me to talk to somebody, but I want to talk with you, the funeral director, first. All right. And we're going to have to lay some ground rules. and We're going to have to make sure that everybody understands uh, what's going on here. Now, if the person has a problem with the Missouri Funeral Trust, 
they can call me anytime they want. That's part of my job. That's not a problem. So a person, if a person has an issue with the Missouri Funeral Trust contract, if they want to know something about their contract, if they're not sure how the contract works, that's no problem. But if you have somebody coming in that's uh, two brothers and uh, one of them has a power of attorney that says they're in charge and the other brother says, well, that power of attorney is no good. And if you give them my phone number, I'm going to be disappointing that person because I'm going to keep saying to them over and over again, I cannot help you with this. The, one, the two things I can tell people is if you think you have a problem, get yourself an attorney. If you think you have an issue, a complaint type issue, contact the state board. So they can contact the state board, they can contact the attorney general's office, or they can contact their own attorney. Beyond that, I can be, I'm very limited in what I can say to people and not inadvertently create an attorney-client relationship. So please, uh, the headline on this one is, do not have family members or members of the public that you're dealing with that have some problem, call me up unless you've talked to me first and I've said, well, under these circumstances, that would be okay because we can we can set things up so it's not there's no confusion. So uh, please don't do that. That's happened several times in the last couple of weeks and it the people get upset because they were told to call me and I'm telling them, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. I'm not your attorney. I can't give you legal advice. If you have a problem, you need to consult your own attorney or you can call the state board up and see if they can be of any help with your problem. So that's all we have for today. Again, I hope you had a wonderful St. Gertrude's Day yesterday. Hope you, you pet a stray cat or something like that. Uh, look for the stuff that's coming in the mail on election nominations and on the convention in May. And so until next time, stay safe.